Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacey Toth, best-selling author and co-creator of PaleoParents.com, where we focus on real-life solutions for families seeking help. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of ThePaleoMom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back, listeners. We keep making this promise that we're going to return. And look at us. We showed up. (laughs) We show up every single week. And there are zero members of Fleetwood Mac joining us this week. No, I... I would not even know that you were sick, judging by how your your voice sounds now. Yeah. It's, I feel so, so, so much better. There's like that lingering. I think when you get one of those weird head colds, it does no matter what you do. There's like that, yeah, there's like, there's not just like the lingering like mucus with those things, but also just the lingering like lower than normal energy. Like I always feel like it's like you get most of the way back and then that last 20% just takes forever. Mm. Well, uh, you're most of the way back. Am I what? You're most of the way back. Most, yeah. I would say I'm like ninety five percent. I'm feeling re- like I just woke up. I was actually um, about three days after we recorded. Um, I woke up on Thursday morning and I just was like, oh, like I got <laughs> a good night's sleep and I just woke up and I felt so great. So. Awesome. Thursday's Thursday's the day that I was in my house. Oh, that was bad. I must, yeah. have, I must have handed it off. Well, uh, my seven-year-old uh, got a stomach bug. And it was funny because I knew it was going around her class. Like we had the whole like email being like, hey, kids are dropping like flies. It's a, you know, it's, this, it's a stomach bug. Watch out for symptoms. I'd had that email and I was saying like, you know, this is the thing. It's like ever since going paleo – you know, we get strep throats and flus and colds. And, you know, for me, when I get really stressed, I, I've been getting serious lung infections. And that's, you know, less often than pre-paleo. But we're like clearly not immune to all of these things going around. But one of the things that I've noticed a big difference in is stomach bugs. And they either – we either skip them completely or when they hit, the hit is a really mild version compared to everyone else around us. So I was feeling all, you know, overconfident and being like, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're much more resilient to stomach bugs. And then my uh, seven-year-old started throwing up at 3.30 in the morning Thursday night and just kept going and, you know, had a super high fever. And it was like, it was really, it was short. She only threw up three times. It was 24 intense hours. But even now, like a couple of days after her fever broke and she, she stopped throwing up, she's like still not her normal energy. She still doesn't have very much of an appetite. Like I was really like trying to like get her to eat and try to coerce her into eating a lot of today. And so, um, so I don't know if that was a more mild version than what, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll talk with some of the other parents and find out what their kids went through, but it was not mild. Like she was miserable. And I felt like that's what happens when you say silly things like, oh yeah, paleo made us so resilient to stomach bugs it's like by the way just in case you needed perspective here it is yeah i feel like we've had this discussion on the show before like uh a lifestyle or a way of eating is not uh a immunity pill to make you be invincible for infinity yeah yeah um but i would say that you know People should, I don't like that word, people can expect to see um, improvement over time. And I think you and I have both talked about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, we we certainly seem to get sick much less than we used to. And definitely, I mean, I think where I, um, and it's sort of a no, no surprise when you think about what paleo is, the thing that's been really big for us is chronic illness. Yeah. Right? Like, that's, that's the thing that has either gone away completely or... Um, or been, you know, 
reduced to something that doesn't require prescription medications anymore. Like it's, and, and that's something that my whole family's experienced, right? Like complete reversal of chronic illness, uh, acute illness. Um, you know, I definitely think that we seem to get less, but of course that's such a hard thing to measure, right? And you can't really say that without going, so going back in time and then trying all of this again with pizza in our well, lives, right? Well, like, no, no, no. I, I think the thing for me is frequency and intensity, right? Hmm. So to me, I, I used to get things like this several times a year, but it would always turn into bronchitis and sometimes into pneumonia from bronchitis. And this time I didn't even miss work. Now, granted, I did take a nap under my desk at work one day when I really should have been working from home, but I had uh, meetings that I couldn't miss. But like, I didn't have a fever. I didn't, you know, like it just, to me, I look at the intensity of where my body and its ability to fight and, you know, heal itself is much more improved. And I know also that I had been, uh, partaking in alcohol and gluten-free treats while we were camping. And my body was definitely run down and exhausted from um, the stress of moving and starting the kitchen project. And there was just a lot of things going on in my life. And so I can look at that and be like, yep, I completely see how I got a cold. And then, you know, what I'm grateful for is that that did not turn into like a big catastrophe that needed, like when I say I got bronchitis, I'm talking like I was in the hospital with a broken rib because I coughed so hard. And here I am, like I went to work all week. So I look at that as a win for sure. Oh, how experience can uh, provide context. So how about we talk about one of the ways that I think um, our immune system is so much stronger. And for me, that is really, um, why I started the hashtag more vegetables than a vegetarian, um, with nutrient sufficiency and a focus on nutrient density. And, um, maybe we can, can kind of bridge into that focus with today's question and topic. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, one of the things that we've talked about on this show many, many times is, um, you know, we don't approach the paleo framework from a, uh, I'm going to put on a toga and grab a spear and go into the woods. <laughs> and I mean, depends on if someone wants to pay me. Like, I, it's fine. <laughs> uh, it would have to be a lot of money for me to decide to go to- toga it up. But um, maybe but no, Halloween. I mean, our. <laughs> Okay, Halloween's a complete exception. Um, but no, our, our approach is not a historical reenactment. It's not trying to replicate the um, diet and lifestyle of Paleolithic man. It is looking at the merits of food, what is in food that is providing vital nutrition to our bodies and what is in food that might undermine our health and choosing those foods that provide tremendous amounts of vital nutrients per calorie and avoiding the foods that are empty calories that may contain inflammatory compounds, compounds that feed the wrong kinds of bacteria in our guts, compounds that interact with our hormones in a negative way or that um, uh, interact with neurotransmitters in a ne- negative way. That right, These, these groups of, of compounds that are in grains, legumes, um, conventional dairy, um, that are they don't help our health, right? They're they're undermining our health. They're and whether they overtly make us sick or they just displace healthier foods, you know, there's where you know bio individuality comes into place. But the the idea behind um, my approach, and I know Stacey, you approach it the same way, is I'm looking for nutrient density. That is my my number one like nutrient density and avoidance of those things that I know we are overtly sensitive to, you know, for, for our family, that's, that's gluten for uh, my youngest and me, that's dairy um, for my oldest, that's food dyes, right? We've got these like absolute foods that we, we just don't touch with a 10 foot pole and none of them are health promoting foods, right? None of them have any kind of nutritional redeeming features. And we can look to the scientific literature and really understand the mechanisms of 
how those foods might be harming our health rather than helping. And so when we take that approach, we end up with this very vegetable focused diet. I was doing um, sort of doing my like what's new in the last year or two in scientific research um, to sort of update all of my information as I was writing Paleo Principles. And one of the really interesting things to me with um, with vegetable intake is that it used to be the studies, you know, they'd take 20,000 people, they would do um, a diet surveys. So it'd be like, what did you eat yesterday type surveys? And then they would look at the health of these people and they would sort of try to draw these comparisons between uh, what they eat and their health. And then once you can start drawing those comparisons, then you can take groups of people with health problems and change their diet and see what happens. Um, but it used to be with vegetal intake that they would have like zero or one servings a day, right? One to two, two to three, three to four, and five plus. And you would see that like most Americans are in that like one to two servings a day. So I think the average vegetable servings a day is something like one and a half servings a day for the average American. And as you would get into this like five plus range, you just had such few numbers that you couldn't subdivide that range. And what they would show is the more vegetables that you ate, the healthier you were. And you can you can see that in intervention studies as well. So there's been studies where they've, um, you know, taken people with various chronic diseases, right, taken people with kidney disease and put them on a high vegetable diet and their kidneys get healthier and they, they stop, you know, they and their kidney function returns. Um, so you have these various studies where they can use vegetable intake as an intervention as well. So it used to be they just said, right, five a day, right? Because these studies that go up to five plus, five plus was the best. And then more recently, they've started being able to get more people recruited in these studies so they could start dividing that five plus into five to six and six to seven, seven to eight and eight plus. And sure enough, eight plus is the best, right? The more vegetables you eat, the healthier you are, the lower your risk of every chronic illness, the lower your risk of autoimmune disease and cancer and cardiovascular disease and diabetes and obesity and metabolic syndrome and, you know, kidney disease and um, depression and, right, like it just keeps, the list just keeps going. So eight plus. And so now, you know, studies are starting to say, well, instead of this five a day, which became this, you know, daily five, it was like this buzzword they were trying to get people to really think about. Now the science is really saying, well, like eight a day is the lowest, the lowest risk of disease. And there really doesn't seem to be a cap on it. It really does look like the more vegetables you eat, the healthier you are. And that's because how integral the fiber is to our um, gut microbial health and how they impact every system in our body. It's about how vitamin and mineral rich vegetables are and, and fruits, right? Fruits are, are part of these, this eight a day. And it's, um, the phytochemicals, like there's there's something like five, 6,000 different phytochemicals. We really only understand what a few dozen of them do, but we know that the more phytochemicals we consume, typically the lower our risk of disease because so many of them have antioxidant properties and anti-cancer properties. And so because of that, here's my segue, Stacey. I really approach paleo as a plant-based diet. You know, I construct my plates to be about three quarters vegetables. And then there's a serving of a quality animal food on there to round out the nutrition because animal food does provide us with nutrients we can't get from plant foods and vice versa. But for me, my, my every plate starts with the vegetables and it starts with eating the rainbow, right? Like it starts with, this is why I, I use the hashtag three quarters veggies. It's um, the source of your hashtag, more vegetables than a vegetarian, right? It is a very vegetable rich diet. And, and that is one of my top dietary priorities. But it's important to differentiate between paleo being a plant-based diet and being the plant-based diet because the branded plant-based diet um while it does in incorporate a lot of vegetables it also limits animal foods much more so than than paleo and i think to down to a level where you're not actually getting uh sufficient protein or or some of the really important nutrients that we get from animal foods like vitamin b12 and it also right it it still incorporates this idea of legumes, dried beans, traditionally prepared grains, you know, things that we know within this framework 
are not foods that work for most people. Yeah, I think for me, um, anytime I read an article that, you know, compares paleo, primal, um, or any variation thereof to some sort of caveman meat diet, um, part of me gets frustrated. And then the other part of me is like, well, I can point to a bajillion times on the internet where paleo people were like, look at me eating this giant tomahawk steak and a whole pound of bacon. <laughs> so, I mean, I kind of, I kind of think we've brought it on ourselves, but, um, you know, one of the things that's interesting and actually, um, in the newsletter that I sent out this week, I pointed to the article that you did talking about, um, how the scientific studies that show meat causes cancer can't prove that when it's a vegetable rich diet, but that it really has nothing to do with what the immediate paleo response was, which is, well, that wasn't grass fed, blah, blah, blah. Um, so to me, that's kind of the, the linchpin there with meat consumption. And, um, my main concern with a lot of people approaching keto as, you know, a a meat only diet is I worry about the nutrients, not just for nutrient sufficiency, but also, um, for what we know it helps play into for long-term health. So, um, I, I admit that I kind of, I set you up for that segue, but I think we're ready to, (laughs) to answer today's question. Yeah, let's, let's dive into it because I feel like there's a lot of directions we, we can go in. Um, but this question is going to give us some focus. So this question is from Claudia. Claudia says, my 16-year-old daughter who has had eczema since early birth, along with severe respiratory and immune issues, has missed over 100 days of school um, due to flu, uh, burned, uh, due to flu turned to bronchitis, turned to pneumonia, turned to mono. My daughter loves grains and beans. I know the worst things for her, but eats mostly whole plant-based food with me plus chicken. She doesn't eat much cheese or crave it the way I do. I have shared custody with my ex-husband and she said crying to me on Christmas Eve, even if I eat perfect with you, I can't at my dad's because he doesn't support it. Help. I know my my daughter needs to be on the autoimmune protocol, but refuses to exclude grains and legumes. I can make her eat chicken, but I can't do red meat. Never, ever could tolerate the smell of cooking flesh. Not total hippie, not about animal rights, though I do love animals. It's about the smell of burnt flesh and Vedo vegan response. So, (laughs) um, as someone who has a vegan brother and who has been for probably about 20 years now, and who was a vegetarian for seven years. I myself have actually used the phrase, um, can't smell, can't stand the smell of burned flesh. Um, and so, uh, I think there's a couple, a couple of ways to approach that. First of all, uh, there are a lot of ways to cook foods that, um, do not initiate a fragrant response. Um, whether that's slow cooking as part of, um, like, let's say a giant roast with a lot of vegetables and that kind of thing where it's like cooked once and then, um, she can handle it or as part of soup. Um, even if you're not comfortable making your own broth, I I know that's pretty intense for someone who broth broth really does is very aromatic and and that, that you, can be you would be dealing with parts of, of yeah, and it would be dealing with parts of the animal that you couldn't kind of avoid, right? Like you're looking at a bone. Um, <clears throat> but there are ways to buy <clears throat> good quality um, broth these days if you wanted to do that and make soup or something like that. I think um, for me, if I were transitioning somebody I love to um, – were really struggling with their health and I wanted to get more nutrient density in them. I mean, I, I don't think we're given the age of the daughter here, right? I, I Six, looked at 16. It. Yeah. Okay. 16. Um, do you just magically know? Oh, I see it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I see no, 2016. Okay. It's buried. Um, yeah. so for me, especially if, if the daughter's older, um, there are definitely ways where, uh, I think there are, introductions to paleo that aren't as over the top as AIP. Um, 
And so I know Sarah can give some specifics on AIP, but what I'm seeing is someone who isn't even paleo um, and probably just needs some nutrients that are deficient in her diet right now, B12, K2, iron, um, probably zinc. You know, there's, there's a myriad of things that um, you will more intensely receive from animal-based foods. And so it's a matter of figuring out how you can do that in ways that work for everybody. And then I would say starting to look at how can you replace some of the grains and beans with vegetables. I would focus on consuming um, the more gentle grains. And I used quotations when I said that, but there are grains that are more gentle on digestion than others. So you can switch to something like um, white rice and make a stir fry that has a lot of vegetables. Um, And then if there's, um, let's say, fish that you can add or, you know, different things like that. Eggs is something that's not going to have a lot of fragrance. Um, I think seafood and eggs are really good introductory meat foods because they're easier to digest. Um, The stomach acid that you need to break down something like um, a ruminant animal like beef or red meat or even pork is much more difficult on the system. So starting with, um, and I see she, Charity eats chicken, but I don't know in what capacity. So I think moving towards just adding in more vegetables to replace the beans and then making sure that you're getting enough protein, um, you can still have some grains if she really needs that she's 16 and seeing how that helps her with how she feels and I think that's also something that when she's at her father's house um she can ask for you know like a chicken and rice casserole because that would be something that is you know regular paleo or whatever and I think um there are a lot of meals that are out there that are naturally paleo but people don't think about it you know so like when I go to eat it Uh, my father's house, for example, he's like, I don't know what to feed you. Just tell me what to make. Um, And in his case, it's usually like grilled chicken or steak. And then I ask for a salad and a couple of sides of vegetables and it's not a big deal. And if he wants to serve bread and have it himself as a side, that's fine. And the dad can do that. And then she can just choose to not partake. But um, to me, I think, you know, making it go all the way AIP sounds like it might not be the best for her situation right now with the difficulty with her father and needing to add in vegetables. Like you're talking about a huge change if you, um, I mean, add in meat, if you're, if you're going to do all that stuff and at the same time start eliminating some vegetables from um, AIP, I think that makes it difficult. So that's where I would start. Yeah, I, um, you know, when I read this question, I, one of the things that I, I see is, um, just a need for a really detailed conversation about food. So we have a daughter who is in tears because she says, even if I eat perfectly with you, mom, I can't do that at my dad's house, but at mom's house, you know, it's a daughter who's still eating grains and beans. So it's, she's not actually eating perfectly anywhere. She's, um, and what I, I sort of, I completely agree with Stacy that I think going to the autoimmune protocol is way too extreme. And we need to take that baby step of trying to figure out some ways of increasing animal food intake for those nutrients, focusing on replacing those, um, grains, especially with vegetables, um, focusing on getting gluten-free, um, you know, I, this sort of like fun fact, I started my paleo journey by Googling eczema and food sensitivity. Like that, that was the very first thing that brought me into paleo because in addition to my autoimmune skin conditions, I'd had eczema most of my life. And, um, someone has sort of mentioned offhand that, oh, that can be related to egg allergy, um, and, and maybe some other foods. And that was what 
got me started on my on this entire thing was was that initial internet search of looking for um, correlation between uh, allergies or sensitivities and eczema. And one of the reasons why that was such a good entry point for me was because there's actually some really strong science linking eczema with food intolerance and food allergy. And there's some frequent flyers. Um, dairy's a frequent flyer. Grain's a frequent flyer. Eggs are a frequent flyer. Um, and those are, those are foods that, uh, you know, grains and, and dairy are foods that are not included on the paleo diet. So as you look at the, you know, the frequent foods to to eliminate if you have eczema they it gets you a fairly large chunk of the way towards paleo to just look at those types of food lists um but i think that you know the autoimmune protocol might be revolutionary for claudia's daughter's health but at the same time with this many challenges i think it makes a lot more sense to try and take some steps towards a clean paleo diet um, or clean paleo diet plus rice. Um, I even think that some uh, legumes, when traditionally prepared, can um, be very well tolerated by people. And they do, you know, when you actually take the time to properly soak them, do the prolonged cooking, um, things like lentils or black beans can offer uh, some compelling nutrition. I would steer clear of soy, peanuts, and kidney beans completely um, because the uh, agglutinins in those three types of legume are not very easily deactivated by um, sprouting, soaking, fermenting, or um, heat. So th those tend to be more inflammatory, but other legumes, as a stepping stone, leaving those in for now, get rid of the grains, get rid of the gluten, um, and, and look at, right, take that approach of what does what nutrients does this food have um, more vegetables and, and working on increasing animal foods and especially finding, you know, Stacy's tips for getting a little red meat in. Um, but also, you know, there's some really everything that you can get richly in red meat, you can typically get from um, mollusks. So that's shellfish that are like oysters and clams and um, mussels. And, um, and fish, especially like salmon, fat, fatty fish, mackerel, um, can provide a lot of the same nutrition. So those are really good stepping stones. Um, but frankly, even all of those can be eaten raw, you know, mm -hmm. so, um, and they're delicious raw. Yes. <laughs> no, it's more expensive to get high quality seafood for sure. Um, but you can also get really affordable frozen seafood, like salmon burgers um, that she could just cook herself in the toaster oven from Costco or Trader Joe's. So, um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, and, lo and looking looking for gluten free options, of course. Yes. Um, so you know, keeping in mind that that sometimes a chicken casserole is made with you know a can of <laughs> cream of mushroom soup, which I'm pretty sure has wheat in it. Um, so, you know, keeping in mind that it, it takes some, some scrutinizing of ingredients to make sure that those choices are going to at least stay gluten-free. And I, I think it would be a, a good idea to try and go dairy-free as well, just given this particular health history and, and how these types of conditions can be linked to dairy. Um, but I think that, you know, really taking a step backwards and sort of having that, you know, maybe educating yourselves together and reading, you know, reading some um, blog posts, reading some books. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, Paleo Principles is, is not out yet, but it will be out in through three, wow, three months. Um, Frankly, Real Life Paleo has a ton of resources. Real Life Paleo has a ton of resources. Um, and, um, you know, the Paleo Approach is a very nice science-y one that um, gives you the reasons behind all of these foods, even if the uh, sort of end of the day recommendations are are probably not something that um, that you guys are going to be ready for. But um, you know, taking taking some time to really you know look at you can even go to um, you know one of these websites that have um, nutrition information on different foods and just look at okay, so if we ate a serving of this, how much vitamins and minerals would this give us? You could track with something like my fitness pal or chronometer, um, you know, really taking that, that micronutrient approach and, and looking to address deficiency while also trying to, you know, at the, I would say at the very least get gluten and dairy free. 
Um, and those, and then that conversation empowers your daughter to have the conversation with her dad. So that's the other part, right? So have this, you know, this conversation, educate, really understand uh, the the yes foods, the no foods, the in between foods. Come up with a plan. Um, work on you know trying some new recipes together. Trying to find um, ways to cook those foods that um, you know aren't going to you know trigger trigger those sort of revulsion type responses, but instead you know are delicious and and accessible. Um, and then your daughter can go to her dad's house and say, this is, this is how I want to eat. And, you know, as a 16 year old too, you know, she should be able to help with things like shopping and cooking and taking some ownership at her dad's house, which can help, um, help her achieve those food choices there as well. Right. So if she can, you know, Hey, this is what I want to eat. So let me cook dinner tonight, dad. Um, you know, that was one of, one of the ways, you know, my earliest, earliest attempts at cleaning up my diet when I was still living at home, I was cooking dinner. Like uh, that, that was one of the very, very first things that I was able to do, um, even as a, as a young adult. So, um, she should be able to, to, with that information and that education, and being able to take ownership of it herself. But, you know, she needs to understand why in order to buy in. Like that is, I, I think that's really, really important. And it sounds like to me when I read this question, the number one thing that is probably going to help everything to come together is education and really understanding what the best choices are um, and through that education being empowered to make them. Yeah, I would say the other thing to really try to do and consider is to plan ahead. And we've got some uh, previous podcasts where we talk about the art of planning ahead and a lot of, you know, recommendations and resources to do that. But I think, you know, she takes pre-prepared food, like whether it's, you know, one batch of soup or um, if she says, you know what, Dad, I'll cook dinner on Saturday night um, and brings, you know, whatever foods that are there, um, I find that that's going to kind of set you up for success. Um, when I've been met in my own personal life with people who find it difficult to wrap their head around what is gluten-free, dairy-free, um, it is a lot easier to to explain it in terms of things that they're already consuming or things that they're already doing. Um, or if it's presented as this is just a meal that I cooked. And then when they're eating it and it's like, Oh, this is so good. I'm like, yeah. And it happens to not have any gluten or dairy in it. Um, and so I think the more that perhaps, you know, she pre-makes a batch of paleo waffles and says, let's have breakfast for dinner, dad, you make eggs and, um, or, you know, like a frittata with vegetables, I'll bring the waffles and you have some fresh fruit available, then it's a meal that they can both enjoy. Um, instead of making it probably what it feels like to her is a battle that she can't win. She can't win in either home. She can't win in her own body. So it's really about exactly what Sarah said, empowering her with information, but then also taking that and setting her up for success so that it doesn't feel like this fight that she has on her own and it overwhelms her. And then, you know, what, what I always worry about with people when they're taking this on, especially when faced with difficult situations or not the best support system is if you're not supported, it's so much more likely to not be successful because if the people around you aren't encouraging and supporting, then it's so much easier to just either, you know, give in and not do something or even often be pressured into, well, why won't you eat this thing that I made? And instead of, you know, fighting with someone about, well, I'm trying to live my best life. I'm trying to be healthy. This is the choice that I'm choosing to make. Um, then it becomes a matter of, okay, fine. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Right. So, um, I think that if you can find ways to empower and, and set her up with this success, um, she'll, she'll be set. But, um, from a practicality standpoint, um, I don't know if there are ideas or meals that we can recommend that, um, wouldn't 
be the smell of burned flesh. <laughs> um, I know I've, I've recommended kind of a, a slow cooked food or, um, uh, soups, um, eggs. Do you have particular preparations? Maybe like poaching fish wouldn't have a, a, a smell to it. What do you, what do you think, Sarah? Um, I, I would actually probably go for like broiling fish, um, in part because it's a really fast way to cook it and it doesn't produce like, I think when you poach, there's a lot of, it's a very aromatic steam typically. Um, and you can broil, uh, you know, like a salmon filet in about seven or eight minutes to cooked. Um, and so, and then as soon as it starts to sort of brown on the top, it also seals in the juices, which seals in, I think the aroma. So that's probably how I would go. Or the other one would be cooking outside. So, so grilling outside using, using a barbecue, um, you know, in that case, the smell's not, you know, you're in a well-ventilated area, the smell's not in your house and that, that can make, um, plus it's super tasty to grill food, but that can definitely, um, I think, you know, then you're mostly just smelling smoke. You're not really smelling the food itself. Yeah. I think also with either of those methods, um, using like an aluminum pouch so that it is kind of contained. We, that's what we do when we grill fish is we, um, you know, like wrap it in foil and it kind of steams in there, but it's self-contained and it, I don't think it would be giving off that aroma. So you could, you know, put your grilled vegetable basket on one side and put your pouches, um, on the other and kind of batch cook multiple things at, at once there. Um, so she'd have them all week and would just have to like reheat them or whatever might be, um, a good idea. Any other, any other things you can think of, Sarah? Um, yeah, well, gen- I mean, generally, you know, cooking with a cover, right? So even if you're baking, wrapping it in tinfoil or using a casserole dish with a lid, um, you know, it's it's often it's the like simmering on the stove or the frying on the stovetop, right? It's that open air where the air's inside, where the, it's circulating in your house that can be the most aromatic. Um, and I think a lot of it, you know, I um, – sort of again in my research for paleo principles was reading up a lot about the psychology of taste and uh, you know it was all for like a one paragraph throwaway but that's okay it's been three hours reading about the psychology of taste and what's really interesting is that familiarity is a really important key to our taste preferences so um one of the things that it was saying was like you know, there's all of this research that shows that if you uh, take kids who just inherently dislike a food, right? They they hate broccoli. They don't want to go anywhere near broccoli. They scream when they see broccoli. That that whole like just one bite thing that actually works because it over time makes the the taste of broccoli more and more familiar. And as you develop that familiarity with it, especially in when you associate it with uh, something positive. So in taste preference research, that something positive could be a positive social interaction, right? Like you, you ate that bite of broccoli and everybody clapped their hands and cheered for you at the table. It doesn't happen nearly enough as, as adults. That does it. Um, we should get more cheering for <laughs> Nobody broccoli. stands behind you as your liver pate. <laughs> Yay! Um, but, but that positive association can also be physical. So I eat that food and I feel good. Um, that, that having those positive associations in addition to familiarity is what causes taste preference. So it becomes not even just like eventually I decided to like that broccoli because I liked it when people cheered for me when I ate it. And um, it doesn't seem so strange to me anymore because I, I'm familiar with what it tastes like after trying it every day for however many weeks. But it becomes a preference. So it becomes not just a like – it's okay, but like, oh yeah, I really want broccoli because I have this like association that broccoli leads to cheering. Um, and so we can, we can use that as adults, right? So we can develop familiarity with food as adults by continuing to try it, right? Continuing to challenge our taste buds. Um, and we can do that also by setting up, right? Setting up the positive environment. We can 
you know, when we're doing these big dietary changes and we're, um, you know, ditching the hyper palatable junk food and we're, you know, going to, you know, whole foods, natural sources, lots of vegetables, right, quality meats, as that makes us feel better, we tend to enjoy those foods more because of that positive association. So that's one of the reasons for the transition period, right? That's one of the reasons why 30-day challenges can be very, very successful um, because by the end of that 30 days, you've got some of those positive associations with these new foods that you've been eating. Um, but you can you can mimic that even with a step-by-step approach, right? By, you know, like, hey, I'm going to... <laughs> figure out how to like broccoli and I'm going to make it for myself and I'm going to cook it in different ways, see if I can find a way that I like it. And you can, we can do this with, um, you know, ground beef or steak as well, right? Um, I'm going to figure out how I can cook this in a way um, that is accessible and then I'm going to, I'm going to keep tasting it. I'm going to keep trying to figure out how to incorporate it into my life. And at the same time as I'm making these other changes that are going to make me feel good. Um, and that's, that's a really good way to, um, to get to, you know, get to this place where those foods become not just okay and I eat them because I know they're good for me, but they become a, oh, I can't wait until it's burger night. Uh, excellent info. The only other thing from a practicality standpoint that I would recommend is there are a lot of really good uh, pre-cooked quality foods at um, – stores like Whole Foods, and that's broadening out now. You can find pre-cooked foods at um, Trader Joe's and Costco and probably Wegmans. Sprouts Sprouts has some great options. So just read the ingredients and make sure that there isn't, you know, a 40-mile long list of who knows what (laughs) being injected into the meat before it's um, being prepared cooked and prepared or whatever but you know if it really is about the smell but you want to encourage um reduction of the inflammatory foods beans grains and you want to replace them with vegetable and meat um if you're a busy family sometimes you just kind of suck it up and say you're gonna lean on these pre-prepared foods um as you transition in so i've seen everything from spiralized vegetables to rice Mm -hmm. cauliflower um you can get just about anything these days pre-prepared and ready for you in the store so you can just grab it um and especially with the pre-cooked meat um I think that that would be a great option to the just a bite, right? Like you can just buy a single portion and have a bite or two um, each night instead of needing to buy a larger amount, cook it all up, and then, you know, you don't want it to go to waste. So hopefully um, we've given you some ideas to help you be successful on this journey. And I would say, you know, um, the the last thing I want to mention is just as a parent, the more... Um, you're able to be supportive and encouraging to give that, that virtual high five and those kudos. And um, if it's possible for you guys to embark on a journey together, even if um, you're not ready to take some of the steps, if it's possible for you to commit to, you know, no longer having any gluten in the house, for example, just choosing to throw out all the junk food from the pantry, the more you can participate in that and encourage and support your daughter, I think the, the easier it will be for her to succeed with this transition. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for tuning in to this week's Paleo View. And um, hopefully we've inspired you to eat more vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like really our show should have just been named Eat More Vegetables. Um, But it's been great to be back. But it was like... Eat more vegetables, but don't forget about the meat. Yes, exactly. Um, I didn't say eat only vegetables. <laughs> eat more vegetables. Yeah, so it's it's great to be back this week and to feel like myself again. I was a, a little loopy last week for sure. My brain fog was pretty thick. So um, I can't wait to hear about your preparations for your book tour, Sarah. Do you have any, any news you want to share before we sign yeah. up? Yeah, so I uh, finished edits um, about three hours ago. (laughs) So, um, I'm in, uh, I've got a few things to wrap up in the, in the glossary, but then I'm, I'm into the copy editing starting tomorrow, which is the like 
making sure that the right graphics are in the right place and all the you know everything's supposed to be where it's supposed to be so we're getting we're getting really close to the end now um and we have uh, a couple of locations locked down uh so the book is coming out november 7th um that happens to be election day in a lot of states there's a lot of gubernatorial races um so uh, i'm not going to have an event on the 7th, um, but I will be launching with my first event in Seattle on the 8th. Um, and then it looks like San Francisco on the 9th, Boston on the 11th, New York tentatively on the 12th, Chicago tentatively on the 14th, Minneapolis tentatively on the 15th, and then Atlanta is definitely on November 16th. Um, and I don't, I don't have like all of the information in front of me. I know in Atlanta, it's at uh, Foxtel Bookshop, which is one of my favorite local independent bookstores. Um, but we're, it's some of these events will be, they'll, they'll I mean, they're all going to be bookstores. Um, so, so keep an eye out for that. But as we nailed this all down, probably in the next week, I'll be creating um, Eventbrite. Um, they're, they're all going to be free events, of course. And I'll try and do a live Q&A in every store as part of part of the event. And I'll be reaching out to local authors to see who wants to meet me, you know, at the store and, and have some fun and hang out and, and be there for you guys to talk to as well. So um, it should be it's going to be very busy for me, um, especially because there will be some probably some other types of media stuff sprinkled in throughout that. Um, and I'm actually talking at a medical conference in the middle. Um, so that'll be also just, just a fun, Hey, you know, if you weren't busy enough. Um, but, uh, but that's, that's what we have going. And then of course we're going to be, you know, after the 16th, there's sort of, we're into holiday season and Thanksgiving. Um, but we'll probably look at maybe doing a few more events in January um, and hitting some of the other, the other cities that um, I wasn't able to fit in on this book tour, just because of the timing, it ended up having to be quite compressed. So, um, so we're sort of hitting a lot of the major paleo centers, certainly not all of them, um, you know, but we're, we're trying to hit and we're trying to hit at least we've got, I think, some various corners of the country. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not all of the corners, um, but we've, we've got, we're trying to hit at least a few different regions. So um yeah, it's I'm 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 in that thing where like when I think about it, I think about it just makes me feel tired to think about doing the book tour right now. But I think that's just because I'm in the middle of the last hectic month of getting the book off to the printer. Um, I have to tell you a funny story. I know we're running late and I know we have to wrap this up, but I do have to tell you this funny story because on two, Tuesday, the early last week, I think it was the day that we recorded. I got a call from our publisher saying um, that the science was estimated to be about 520 pages and he really wanted to keep the book to under 650. And then he called Friday and he said, uh, so my new goal is to keep the book to under 700 pages. Oh. <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, so, you know, it's, he, he literally asked me, he's like, how big is too big for your people? And I said, look, the difference between a 650 page book and a 700 page book, we're not talking about like one option. We're like reading it with one hand while lazing around on the beach. And the other option is suddenly like too big. You know, we're talking about a big book that is going to be open on a table instead of, you know, giving people a wrist workout while they're reading it at, at any, you know, no matter what. And that I felt at this point, um, we needed to just, you know, make it the most comprehensive paleo resource ever created, which was my goal, you know, going into this and, and really embrace it and sort of embrace, you know, the fact that it, I mean, it is, it's a completely unique book. No one has done a book anywhere like this. It's uh, about 50% more science than the Paleo Approach with all of the Paleo Approach cookbook added to the end. Um, so it's it's a really intensely large resource, but I'm hoping it'll be, you know, the the go-to guide for people and um, that it really is, is the one place where people get answers to all of their questions. So um, I'm excited. And if you're listening and you haven't pre-ordered yet, please consider doing so. It's the best thing you can do to support me. Plus it guarantees you the lowest price. And it guarantees you a copy because if we underestimate how many copies are going to be needed to meet initial orders, um, sometimes the book can go on back order even before it's released. So 
um, please, please consider um, pre-ordering. We'll put links in the show notes. Um, but, you know, it's available now in all major online books, booksellers for, for pre-order. It's interesting. Real Life Paleo came out on Election Day. Oh, really? Yeah, I remember we did these little, like, I voted for my health graphics. <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. Well, I'm excited, and um, definitely we'll put links in the show notes for you to pre-order, but of course you can just look up Paleo Principles on Amazon, and magic will happen. Um, but awesome using magic. Yeah. Appreciated use, awesome magic. Using our links obviously helps support the free podcast, which does not have commercial interruptions. So um, that's something that we've somehow <laughs> managed to do for five years now. Um, but we're, we're happy you're here and we want to make it um, maximize your time and give you value. So that's something that we've, we've always stuck to. So whenever you're able to support us, we sincerely appreciate it and uh, put it back into the show for you. So. Awesome. Well, as soon as you have your tour dates solid and Eventbrite's and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure we'll let people know. But in the meantime, mark your calendars with uh, those tentative dates. And Sarah looks forward to seeing you. I won't be there. You. So you'll just have to give her a hug for me, which you'd have to do anyway if I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen Stacy hug people. It's true. I, I, talk a, I talk a big game, but... But really softy. Uh, Yeah, total softy. Uh, Well, thanks, everyone. And we'll be back next week. How are you feeling? Well, I know you were worried that Rod Stewart was going to be joining us this week on the podcast. <laughs> but the good news is I'm feeling much, much better. I think I'm still a little nasally, but I am feeling better. Well, so we I had uh... that question that you asked last week where you were like, is it just where it sounds bad or do you feel bad? And I was like, no, I feel bad. <laughs> the answer this week is, no, it just sounds bad. Actually, I, it's, I don't, I mean, your voice doesn't sound that different from normal. Like, there's, like, a slight gravelly tone to it, but it's actually really subtle. I think that if I didn't know you were sick, I probably wouldn't notice. You'd just be like, oh, that chick smokes two packs a day. I don't, you know, maybe, like, one pack a day. So I don't think <laughs> two packs a day worth. Yeah. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.